So we are there in um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. This morning we began looking at this verse. Um, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Uh, this verse forms part of verse 15 to verse 23. And of course, Paul wrote these words, uh, this wonderful section, to remind the Colossians and ask why we should grow to be like Christ and why we should endure with life joy. We should endure life with joy and patience. The question, of course, is how do we do that? How do we live with joy and patience in a difficult world? Well, Paul's answer, in, in, in particularly in those verses, verse 9 to verse 12, is that we do that by growing in thankfulness for all that God has done for us in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 15 to 23 fleshes out who this Christ is. And as I said, this morning we start looking at verse 18. This verse teaches us that Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. And this morning we learned two truths from looking at verse 18. We learned, first of all, that Christ is the head of the church as his own body. The church is not a club, it's not a building, it's not an association. It is a living organism headed by Christ Jesus. And because Christ is the head of the church, we as individual believers and as a church, we draw life, identity, and direction from him, not from the world, but from Christ himself. He is the head. We are his body. That's the first truth we learned. The second truth we learned is that Christ is the head of the church by his resurrection from death. The resurrection of Christ, if you like, is a second, is a new genesis. What I want us to focus on this evening is the third truth in verse 18, which is why is Christ the head of the church? What on earth is the church for? Why create it? Well, the final, the answer to that is in the final sentence in verse 18. So verse 18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church, is the beginning, that is Christ, the firstborn from the dead. Why? That in everything it might be preeminent. I want us to focus on that sentence, that in everything it might be preeminent. I believe this sentence is giving us the goal for which Christ is the head of his body, the church. Christ is the head of the body, head of the church for his preeminence for his preeminence this is the truth i want us to learn this evening now the question of course immediately is what does paul mean by this word preeminent what does he mean when he said that in everything it might be preeminent well the word preeminent means supreme or the greatest so in the world of sports and entertainment we would say someone is preeminent when we Somebody is very great, and the word we'd use isn't preeminent. We'll say he's the greatest of all time, he's the God, isn't it? So you think of basketball and Michael Jordan, or you, you think of, I don't know, football, I guess, Ronaldo, or somebody like that. You think of somebody who has achieved uh, lots of Ronaldos, isn't it? <laughs> somebody who has achieved a lot, you call him uh, the God, he's the greatest of all time. They have no rivals. 
And that's what Paul is saying here about Christ. He's saying Christ rose from death to be the living head of the body, the church, so that he would be the God. He would be the matchless, transcendent one. He would be Lord over everything else. He would be ranked first in the old creation and the new creation. Now, I mention that because when you hear me say Christ rose from death so that he would be transcendent, over everything, the obvious question that should come to your mind is, I thought Christ is already supreme as our God. Isn't that the truth we learned in verse 15? So what does he need the resurrection? Why the resurrection to make him supreme? When verse 15 already has told us that Christ is supreme. Isn't that what verse 15 says? It is the image of the invisible God. We said he is God. That makes him supreme. And he's the firstborn over all creation. We said, when we looked at that, that part of verse 15, that means that he's supreme over all creation. So yes, Christ is our supreme. But verse 15 is talking about Christ being supreme in the present fallen creation by virtue of Christ being God creator and sustainer. It's important that you understand the movement here. Verse 15 is talking about the present order of things. Verse 18 is talking about Christ being supreme in the new creation he has inaugurated. And he's the head of the body of the church. is the beginning, the firstborn, the first rank from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. You know, when Christ made the world, created the world, he also created the first human couple, Adam and Eve. He created them to honor God and to fulfill his purpose in the world. But the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And in their rebellion, they plunged all of humanity into sin. And it's, but it's not just humanity that has been plunged into sin. The Bible tells us in Romans that all of creation... Uh, has been placed under a curse. Indeed, we just by reading Genesis 3, we see that Adam's sin causes, um, brings a curse on all of creation. But the good news of the Bible is that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, has come, you see, to begin the restoration of our relationship with God. Christ has come, if you like, to create a new humanity made up of those who truly love and trust Him. And that is why in this verse, as I mentioned this morning, this verse describes Christ as what? The firstborn from the dead. It says he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That is to say, he, he is the beginning and founder of a new humanity, as we noted this morning. Christ created the new humanity, the church, when he rose from the dead. When we think of the church and its genesis, its beginning, I think the best allusion, the best way, example in the Bible that conveys that is how God created Eve, right? Do you remember how God created Eve? God created Eve out of what? Out of who? Out of Adam. You remember that to create Eve, God took a rib from Adam in his sleep and created Eve. In the same way, the church was created, if so to speak, in Christ's sleep, right? The church came out of Christ in his sleep of death. 
And when Christ rose from death, he rose with the church. He rose with this new creation to new life. We have therefore now in Christ a new humanity because we are now, who truly trust in Christ, are now spiritually alive with Christ. And there is this promise that we will put on a new glorified body, the same body that Christ rose from the grave with. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 to 23 makes this point. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 21, 23 says this. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians in that great passage, chapter 15. He says, for as by a man came death, that is Adam, by a man, that is Christ Jesus, has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. What the Apostle Paul is saying, both in Corinthians and in Colossians, he's saying the resurrection of Christ is the beginning of a new creation with the new humanity as the first fruits, so to speak. The new creation with the new humanity, the church, where the, it's a new creation in which the new humanity, the church, will live forever. We might even say the crucifixion of Christ was the crucifixion of the old order of things. When Christ died, he crucified the old, in his body, the old creation. And the resurrection of Christ now is a resurrection of this new humanity. But more than that, it's a resurrection of a new glorified creation. And this is why most followers of Christ gather for worship on Sundays, not on Saturday. Have you thought about it? We gather for worship on Sundays, not on Saturday. Why? Well, the people of Israel met for worship on the seventh day of the week. And God rested. They did that to commemorate that after God created the world, he rested on the seventh day. But we are meeting here on Sunday, right? Why is that? Well, the reason is that we as followers of Christ meet on the first day of the week to commemorate God's work of a new creation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And every time we meet on Sunday, we are celebrating this great new world which we are already part of, but has not yet come into its fullness. We do not yet see the new world or the new creation on full display in Christ, but it is already underway. How do we know it's already underway? Because we, the church, are part of this new creation. The new creation will be fully visible when Christ appears, of course, to usher in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. That's what Peter says, isn't it, in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 11 to 13 says this. He's talking about the, how we should respond to the good news of Christ. He says this, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, the end is coming. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved? He says this world is temporary, and the heavenly bodies will, be, will melt as they burn, but verse 13 says, but according to his promise, God's promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
You see, at the moment we are living in between. That's what Paul is saying. At the moment we are living in between. The new creation at the moment is only made up of the new humanity, the church. Everything else remains fallen and, and as part of the old order of things. Right? So we live now side by side, the new and the old. We are the new creation in Christ who are living alongside rebellious human beings under the terrible dominion of darkness. That's verse 13 and 14. What God has done in Christ, you see, is he's transferred us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He's transferred us from the old order of things into the new creation we have in Christ. But we're still here physically. We have the same bodies and so in a way, we live in between, isn't it? Well, what verse 18 is saying is that the resurrection of Christ, you see, starts a new world in which Christ is preeminent. Us being brought into the kingdom through the resurrection of Christ is Christ bringing a new creation under his headship. Of course, there's a discontinuity, isn't it, between the old world and the new world. But in both worlds, the fallen world and the new world that Christ is ushering in, Christ is supreme in the old and the new. That's where verse 15 relating to the old and verse 18, that's how they relate together. But look at verse 18 again there, the last sentence. Notice verse 18 says, In everything he might be preeminent. In everything he might be preeminent. The, the might is not saying the preeminence in Christ is in doubt in any shape or form, right? Because when we read that in English, we might think, well, there seems to be a bit of uncertainty here. No. What, what that word might is conveying is that there is a dynamic or future element to the rule and reign of Christ. We do not yet see Christ fully preeminent in the new world, so to speak. In, in all things, rather. Right? Because part of the old world is still under the, part of the world is still under the fallen order of things. Christ is preeminent now as our creator, but we don't see him fully preeminent over all things as our redeemer. Right? But verse 18 is saying, Christ is now preeminent over the church. Right? His body. And there's the time coming in which you'll be preeminent over all creation. As a new creation. That of course has not yet happened because the world is still in rebellion, right? It's not just the people. The whole universe, as I've said, has been subjected to futility. But a time is coming when all things will be brought under Christ our Lord. When all things will be reconciled to him in this new creation. And this is why Paul is headed, by the way, when you look at verse 19 there to verse 22, he makes this point. You've got to read verse 18 in the context of verse 19 to 22. So I'll just read that for you. For in him, that is Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's the context of verse 18, right? Paul is saying Christ is the head of the church, right? Not only to be preeminent in our lives, but to be preeminent in the new reconciled creation. It's so important that you understand that because that's leading us to this big, big point, which is this. Christ is our head, right? So that through the church, his body, it may usher in this new creation in which all things are now subject to him. The church is not a bystander to Christ bringing in the new order of things. Quite the contrary, the church is the body of Christ. It's the arms, legs, and feet. And it is instrumental in Christ ushering in the new world. This is the extraordinary mission of the church. This is why the church exists. The church is the living body of Christ. And it is through the church that Christ is ushering in the new creation, the new world. Of course, there are some things that the church won't do which will require Christ to do. But even the timetable for Christ's return is linked to the church itself. Why do I say that? Well, you have to simply ask yourself is, how is Christ the head working through the church to bring about this new creation? How does he do it? Biblically. He does it through the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel brings new life to dead people. The gospel rescues sinners in the old creation and brings them into the new creation. Right? That's 2 Corinthians 5. As people repent, they become part of a new humanity in practice. And Paul makes this point in verse 23 there. Look at verse 23 there. You see that? You're trying to figure out how these verses end together. That's what Paul is getting at in verse 23. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stay born steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. You see, the gospel is key here that you heard. But look where the gospel is being proclaimed, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. God is bringing this new world into being by the proclamation of the gospel. And it's only when sinners are gathered in, the new, cre- the new humanity is complete in its number, that's when Christ will come. So everything is connected. We have a role to play in the ushering in of the new creation. As more and more sinners repent and trust in Christ, and this is key, as more and more sinners repent and trust in Christ, the preeminence of Christ grows and grows until that day when he makes all things new. So Paul is saying to the Colossians and us here, he's saying, look, this is the reason for being the body of Christ. It is so that through us, Christ may not only be preeminent as creator in the old world, but he may grow in his preeminence in the new world over all things as the redeemer. So what Paul is really teaching us in this verse is in line with what Christ himself taught in that famous parable of the mustard plant. Remember the parable of the mustard plant? It's the seed that just, the, the tree that just keeps on growing. Well, in verse 18, the emphasis is that as the church, the tree grows and grows, as, the, as, it, as, as it gathers more of a new humanity, right? 
Well, Christ's preeminence grows. His dominion, his reign as a redeemer over all of creation grows. And so what we have here is a vision of the glory of Christ that's ever increasing through his body, the church, until he is fully exalted above everything else. That's God's grand order of design in Christ. You are not a bystander to the ushering in of the new creation. You are at the heart of it. If you are in Christ. Christ is the head of the church for his preeminence. Does that excite you? Well, I tell you, when the Colossians heard this, I'm sure they were excited by this. Because you have to remember, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. What's the church like? Well, it's a small church. It's facing many challenges. Uh, and not only that, not only just facing resource challenges, it is under attack from false teachers around them. And so can you imagine how they feel reading this? Well, they must be so encouraged. I think they are probably dancing over the moon as they read these words. Christ is the head of our local church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead so that in everything through us, he might be preeminent in the new order of things. They're excited. They're reminded that they are part of this new creation in Christ. They're part of this new humanity and they're filled with new confidence, I would imagine, to stand firm against all false teaching. Any teaching that takes away from the supremacy of Christ, they're like, I don't want to know. And we can imagine they're encouraged, isn't it? In whatever situation they're in, they know they're part of something so amazing, a dynamic movement in history. And they're feeling a new, I would imagine, a sense of privilege. They know that Christ is their living head so that he may work through them to shine forth his preeminence. They know that being small in number and buffeted by many trials is not an issue because they are, they are part of a larger movement that isn't just transforming human beings. It's, it's a movement that's transforming the entire universe. To bring the rest of the universe under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the proclamation of the gospel. And I imagine this makes them value their local church. Because all of a sudden they realize Christ, Christ doesn't need us. Christ doesn't need me. He is preeminent. It is I who needs Christ. They realize that the church will go on with or without them because the church is tied to the glory of Christ. The church is not, anyone, is not at anyone's mercy. Its story is already written. They realize that Christ is the head of the church and he never runs out of love. He never runs out of his power to nourish the church, to protect the church. They realize the church the universal church, the invisible church, will keep marching on until Christ makes all things new. And because that is true, well, they must think to themselves, Christ is going to do his work in the church with or without me. And as I think, I, think, I think about them, I think about my own thinking about this passage, and I realize that verse 18 crushes our pride, doesn't it? Because Christ has a plan to make the church, 
to make as a plan to work through the church in history to, 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 for his preeminence. That crushes my pride because Christ doesn't need me. He doesn't need this church. He doesn't need us. We can work with him or not, but he doesn't need us. He's not a beggar. Christ does not need us to reach people in Bethlehem and make them part of this new humanity. He will make it happen with or without us because that is his plan. It's linked to his glory. Christ does not need me to pastor this church for him in order for him to do his work among you here, right? He doesn't need me, right? To grow his preeminence, Christ will be exalted whether Chola likes it or not. Christ does not need you to share him with people around you. Christ has commanded you to share the gospel, but it is not the need that Christ has. Our God has no needs. If we refuse to share the gospel, if we refuse to be part of this dynamic movement of the gospel through our history, Christ will just raise another person. Just rest on our person. Christ is committed to doing that, you see, because his glory is tied to the expansion of the church throughout history. It's tied to his preeminence. He must have the glory. Christ does not need you to come to Bible study to strengthen his work. He does not need your constant prayers to revive our fellowship. He does not need your money or resources to support his work in this world. He does not need your visits to other believers to grow them in Christ. Christ commands these things to his body, but he does not need anything from us. He's not begging for devotion or commitment from anyone. Because Christ is preeminent. Whether you and I submit to the Lordship of Christ, whether you and I support Christ in his God to be preeminent over all things, Christ will still be preeminent. Nothing can stop him. And he is the beginning of the body of the church. He is the, he is the head of the church, the, the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. As a hymn writer reminds us, I cannot tell, he says, how all the lands shall worship when at his bidding every storm is sealed, stilled. Or who can say how great the jubilation when all the hearts of men with love are filled. But this I know, the skies will thrill with rapture and myriad and myriad human voices sing and earth to heaven and heaven to earth will answer. At last, the Savior, Savior of the world, is King. Beloved, Christ will have his glory. He will finish his work to bring his body into a glorious new world. Christ will be preeminent over all things. You know, I don't know about you, but I find this truth painful. Painful. Sometimes I want God to, uh, to pat me on the back like I am doing God a favor just getting up to pray. Sometimes I do. 
I forget the truth of this verse. It is a privilege for me, a sinner, to even get near to Christ, let alone to be part of his team that promotes his greatness in the world. You know, football managers tell us when the team is winning, right, every player wants to play. (laughs) When the team is on form, everyone wants to get on the team. Why is that? Well, the privilege of being in a winning team pushes them extra. So we want to get involved. And everybody, that's why teams have good runs. Everybody sees that. And everybody want to get involved, right? And so everybody in their training, they are pushing harder. Well, the same is true for the church, isn't it? When we see that the church is truly the only game in town, well, we want to get involved in the church. When we realize that Christ has created the church as his arms, legs, and feet to promote his preeminence, we will give ourselves to his work of proclaiming the gospel. And so this evening, I, I want to encourage you to really reflect on your life. Do you sense this privilege that Christ has given you to be part of his local body, the church? Do you know and feel the privilege of being part of this new humanity that Christ is using to grow and showcase his preeminence in the world? This evening, just ask Christ to show you what a privilege it is to belong to his body, the church, and ask him to help you contribute to it, to to its growth for the glory of Christ. Remember, as you give wholeheartedly, as you give yourself wholeheartedly to his church, you are giving yourself to Christ, who is the head of the church. You are saying to him, use me to increase your preeminence in the world. So there must be a sense of privilege. Finally, let this truth that Christ is the head of his body give you this make you realize that this is a source of encouragement. Let this truth encourage you in your work with Christ in whatever situation you're in. You know, maybe this evening you are in a season of your life where you feel frustrated uh, by the lack of progress in your life. Perhaps you only see sinfulness and weaknesses and failures uh, in your life. Or perhaps you are feeling low. You're trusting in Christ, but you feel overwhelmed by pain and suffering or opposition to your faith. Or perhaps you just look into the future and you, the future just looks uncertain. Well, beloved, this, let this verse encourage you. There is no need for us to despair, as I said this morning. No matter what our circumstances are, you must keep your focus on Christ our Supreme. You belong to the body of Christ. So no matter what happens next week, Right? What next week brings, remember in Christ your future is already written with the blood of Christ. With the blood of Christ, our supreme head. Eternal glory lies ahead of you because you are in Christ. And all that the Lord Jesus Christ, our supreme has, belongs to you. His preeminence is for your good. The victory flag has been hoisted by Christ on Calvary. Our great champion has already won. Sin defeated. Death defeated. Satan defeated. That's Christ's record for the church. 
So, beloved, keep your focus on what you have in Christ your head. And if you do that, your whole life will become a, pre- a celebration of his preeminence. That should be the Christian's goal, the, our whole life, to become a celebration of the preeminence of Christ. Now, imagine if when you face opposition this week, you remember that you are there at work or in the, in the world in general, where God has placed you so that you might showcase the preeminent wisdom of Christ in your life. I mean, that would make a huge difference in how you respond to opposition. Imagine if you receive bad news in the family this coming week, and you remember it's an opportunity for Christ to show his preeminent power to keep you. How transform how you respond in that situation. And if you keep remembering the preeminence of Christ, you you keep growing, experiencing the peace of Christ, and you grow in supporting the growth of the preeminence of Christ in the world. Your life as a member of this new community will increasingly become what I call a human billboard, right? You'll be a human billboard advertising the preeminence of Christ in the new world. That, That should be the Christian's goal. And so as we reflect on the truth we've learned today, May the Lord help us to remember what all that we have learned. Christ is the head of the church as his body by his resurrection and for his preeminence. Amen.